Welcome to the Biz Crush podcast series where I interview successful South African entrepreneurs and movers and shakers in order to extract practical advice on succeeding in business and life. I'm your host, Jacques Poisson. Even as a young schoolboy, Tina Nodara showcased his entrepreneurial spirit, standing out from the crowd. However, he soon realized that he had a burning desire to carve his own path. With this fierce determination, Tina embarked on a transformative journey, honing his skills through a rigorous graduate program focused on imports and exports while working for a prominent logistics company. Driven by a vision to make a lasting impact, Tina founded Waymaker Trade Solutions in 2018, a groundbreaking global solutions company. Acknowledging the untapped potential of Africa, you couldn't help but feel a sense of regret. While the continent exported its valuable resources, it wasn't producing enough goods for its own needs. But this represents an immense opportunity for Africa from a trading standpoint. Tina, welcome in the studio. Um, thanks for having me, Jacques. Tell us your story. Where did it all begin? Where did you grow up and the journey from there to here? Okay, um, Jacques, I'm from a small town by the name of Umtata. I'm also commonly known, mostly um, our claim to fame is that Nelson Mandela is there from there as well. So it's in the Eastern Cape and the old Transkei. Um, Beautiful part of it. Yeah, nice, close to the wild coast. So your coffee bays and your hole in the walls are yeah. literally 45 minutes from us. So I grew up there. Um, my parents were there. And um, in primary school, I started boarding in grade six, where I left Mtata and I went to East London and did my grade six and grade seven there. And then um, in high school, I left and I went and uh, joined um, Kersney College in KZN and did my high school there. Um, was, it, was, it a, was, it a, was it a massive culture shift? I mean, from East London to, to Natal or not really? No, not really. It was boarding. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think the only shift was going from a, an, a co-ed school to a boys' school. I think that was so the shift. But otherwise, yeah, in East London, I was a weekly boarder, whereas then at, um, in, in Durban, then it had to change to sort of termly boarder. But otherwise, yeah, it was just a bit different going from a co-ed school into a fully boys' school. So completed that there, um, my, my matriculated it in KZN and then moved over to UCT, did my varsity there. and then What did you study? So I did politics, philosophy, economics. Okay. Um, heavy, heavy. <laughs> yeah, so I did, I did nothing to do with um, anything to do with logistics or anything to do with supply chain in my undergrad years, but actually politics, philosophy, economics. I, I, I guess I didn't really know what I wanted to do 100%. Yeah. I knew that I was an entrepreneurial, though. Is it? When, when did you, when did that realization take place were you were you a wheeler and dealer or where did where did you no so when i was in in grade in grade two my mother got me um selling at at the school whenever we had um sports days or or um the red nose day or any activity that was yeah. happening at the school so my mom there was a program they used to call them debutantes um so they were just trying to encourage entrepreneurship in young kids 
So I used to do that all the time. Uh, to be honest, I mean, my mom manages the stand more than I did. <laughs> I'd go and run and play with the boys and everything yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point. So, but it started there. And um, growing up, my father was a lawyer and he had his own practice. Okay. But as a young as a youngster, I wasn't aware that he had his own practice. I just knew he had a lawyer and he goes to work. So um, we had a few family friends that owned um, restaurants and petrol stations in and around. And I was, was always encouraging and asking my dad, why Why don't you have a petrol station? Why don't you get something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, for me... Um, it made sense for you to do your own thing. Yeah, to me it's always been, you know, you make money by... You buy, you own something, and you have customers that come, and that's how you know success is is, is really achieved. I, that's how I saw it from from a young age. So it's, it really started there, Jacques, and then throughout when I was in East London, I don't think I did anything entrepreneurial. But in high school, I used to uh, make branded clothing with for the school for, in some cases. So the school had its own kit and clothing shop. So I wasn't making official school. But I would get permission to make like a trucker cap and put the okay. school's name on, etc. And then, um, as a boarding school, we had we had houses. So I think Kersney has six houses. So I used to in grade ten and grade eleven, I was running the tuck shop for the house at at Kersney. Good money, I remember those. It was nice, so, nice yeah, it made, little. It made some lot of Coca Cola and pies, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was very beneficial on the weekends when we'd go out, and um, then I had a bit of extra cash yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so it, it comes from there, and then and then um, I mean um, I'm sure you've heard it many times as well, Jacques. I could I could tell you ten, fifteen, twenty stories in entrepreneurship, different businesses that I've been involved in. I couldn't actually. Um, some I even forget. Some things I just sort of remember. Oh, yeah, I once did that as well. But my mentality was always, I always read. In my high school and varsity days, I liked reading biographies. So I'd read like books from Richard Branson, okay. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So it was, it was business books, It was business books, largely. It became quite clear to me at a young age that entrepreneurship is a journey of failures until mm. you find, you know, that right one. Mm. So I was probably about 20 years old, and I thought to myself, okay, um, if it's a journey of failures, <laughs> then I need to experience these failures now. But get, I, get it over and done with. Get it over and done with. <laughs> I don't want to be 40 years old. <laughs> to decide, then I'm going through my journey of yeah, failures because yeah. what's that going to do? So, And I've had successes, successes failures, but um, um, Waymaker is a business that I then started in 2018. So what? So so you, you study. So what happened after UCT? Did did you go down a, a corporate route? Yeah. So so what happened then, Jacques, was I left, graduated, and worked for. Uh, I worked for Metropolitan. I worked for Sunlam as a um, financial planner, and then I was offered a job at a brokerage in Hillcrest, Durban. Um, by the name of a company by the name of Maypec Financial Solutions. Um, so I joined them, which was also a good experience. So this is where, for me, I got to learn about selling as a financial planner. This was jobs that were c- completely based on commission. There's no basic attached so you, to this. So you, you need a thick skin and perseverance. Yeah. yeah, and perseverance. But most people or many people, once you hear, especially being a graduate, etc., that this is a commission-only-based job, then people sort of see it as I'm too good for this, or or they 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 shun it, uh, they shun against it. Whereas, f- 
for me, from the get-go, it was a challenge of, you know, um, well, do the, you know how to sell? Yeah, and, so, and, and if you do it well, the in, your income is, is not, there's no, there's no ceiling. Yeah, it's, it's a value. What you put in is what you get out. So um, I've, I've got a friend um, here in Johannesburg, and his dad was a financial advisor back, or financial planner back in the 80s. And he's grown now to create quite a successful business. He was, I think, one of the first black owners of a Harley Davidson dealership. Wow. Um, and he owns now, um, I believe the company's called 21st Century or so, but um, they run funeral funeral business. Um, and, and they also, I think, have policies, you know, okay. funeral cover policies. Yeah, so yeah. doing very well. So um, I read an article on him. I think it was in a GQ magazine many years back. And he said, one of the things he said was, you know, to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to know how to sell. Mm. That is a key thing. Yeah. And I didn't know if I knew how to do this. So I thought if there's any way to learn, then financial plan wow. is the way to go. So I did that. And um, then whilst in Hillcrest Durban, I then got an interview at... Uh, how, how did the selling go? <laughs> were, you, were, were you a salesman? <laughs> it was tough. Um, look, especially in the beginning... Um, you, like you said, you need to have thick skin. You need to also see with sales. You need to first understand what you're actually talking about. Mm. That's when when you're going to start to actually start to flow and be able to see where the opportunities are. So it 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 I started out in Cape Town where I, I was doing it. Um, I found that pretty 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 challenging, but I managed to then um, I managed to open up Passenger Rail Agency South Africa. So Prasa has a whole lot of stuff that are, some are going on retirement. And so we put together a wellness plan for their staff. So we were doing trainings at their different stations, but focused in the Cape Town region because okay. that's where I was based. Yes. So that, 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 that went okay. And then at Maypec, we were doing quite well. As not, I found it challenging. I didn't like selling insurance. It, it taught some humility <laughs> because... When you're selling a product, things like life cover, funeral cover, aren't things that people see as a large need. Mm. So, and and they've kind of over time been I don't want to say lambasted, but there's a lot of that information going through. Mm. People are always seeing it on TV. It's 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 really commoditized. It's really commoditized. Um, So when a person when your person picks up their phone and they say hi, um, we are calling you because. We are interested in telling you about education plans, and yeah. uh, it's, not, it's not that these things aren't beneficial, and nobody. Yeah, but it's but just, it's it's like just puts its taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it was I was selling something that I believed in, but it wasn't my vision. I wasn't yeah, trying yeah. to be a person who's going to. I had no vision to start my own insurance brokerage one day and hopefully become an independent, um, you know, um, broker for discovery and momentum yes. like like many others do it wasn't really my vision because i i, I believe in it i have my own life co- cover policies etc but no i didn't like selling that's all yeah no but look we did we opened a few hospitals we were working with in the south coast so it was coming along but it wasn't satisfactory for me and quite cha- it had its challenges yeah so sitting in Durban, i went for an interview and i got into a company by the name of Centova Logistics, which is a company that at the time I think had 18 offices um, worldwide and JSE listed company. Okay. Um, and we were doing sea, air, road, and courier. 
um, logistics. So a big had, boy. And I had no experience in logistics, anything whatsoever prior to this. Yeah, so they put me in a graduate program. And the graduate program, I think, which was, I think was probably one of the biggest blessings I had. I don't know if I'd be sitting here discussing this topic with you today if they didn't. And this graduate program, they ran me through each of the departments, some for three months, some for six months, depending on how long they needed you there for. So you just got exposure to you got exp- I got exposure whole to the whole, th- the whole thing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think I started in, in forwarding. So there's clearing and forwarding. I, knew, I had no idea what clearing and forwarding was, but key element of, of exports and importing. Yeah. Sat there, sat in customs, sat in sea freight imports, sea freight exports, sat in the accounts department, sat in the estimates. So I was literally doing quotes to cars, wow. depending on a full container or half a container or less, you know, a part shipment Yeah, um, from US to everywhere, all over the place. Yeah. So sat in road freight, what else? Customs, very important. So I sat in customs, so that's where I got to understand tariffing and how to identify duties, etc., and the process of communicating with CASA, with SARS to clear your goods into the country. Because that, that's critical, right? Critical. So you're, you're just, otherwise you just sits there. It sits there, you need to know how to clear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't, you're going to end up having um, charges for storage whilst yeah. it's there. So yeah. you've got to do your pre-clearance. So, so that really gave me an opportunity there, Jacques. I, I even... And then when I completed the graduate program, I then was heading up what was Centova Express, which was the courier division. Okay. So I headed that up, but I, I wasn't selling as per se, and I always had a passion for selling. So then they moved me to logistics exec, where then I was now selling, you know, sea, air, road, whichever it may be to the different clients. Yeah, so that was a great experience for me. Had good relationships, great company to work for. What was the typical business you sold to? What did that look like? At, at Centova, it was your paper companies, stationary guys, a lot of different sort of queries that came in from all over the place. Was it, was it local manufacturing or was it? Mostly. Uh, in, so it's not all imports, it's more. It, it was more, it, a lot of imports. So guys would have logistics coming in and then also guys were looking for exports. But this was established businesses. Yes. Um, no small scale businesses, no businesses that still needed to get, you know, customers. So it was more trying to cross this sell was, them this than is logistics. Yeah, yeah. You come, you have your, you, you've got your client, you've, you've, you've sold your product, you just yeah. need it moved. That's when you came to Centova. Got it. So, so, um, yeah, so we would try, you know, um, negotiate pricing and see which guys, if we could, it really came down to price mm. and service levels. Yeah. But thereafter then, Jacques, um, that's when, you know, then the entrepreneur and me then woke up again. And it's like a, this day job thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's problematic. <laughs> uh, that and also seeing this opportunity that I was mentioning to you where, earlier on where so many people don't know how this whole thing works, you know, how to import and export a product. And I could see that, okay, I want to start a business in line with this, yeah, but I'm not trying to start a logistics focused business. I'm not trying to talk to you when you come to me and you say, Tina, here's my invoice. Here's my packing list. My buyer's address in China is, is so-and-so in Shenzhen. Collect the stuff. It will be ready on Wednesday. So it's like step three, but you interested in step one and two yeah, as well. That's step three. Yep. What happens to get the guy there? Yes, yes. See, and, and this is where I was thinking and I was realizing how little 
South Africans and not just the actual private sector, the guys who could do this really, really don't know about this whole process, even starting just from the registration and being customs registered to having your own importers code, having your own exporters code. So, and then you're still going to talk about tariff codes and you're going to talk about VAT and duties. It's an overload for these guys. Um, yes, yes. Um, whilst the person is still specializing in what they do. So you take a... a yeah, because if they're manufacturing pens, that's, he, that's what, what they do. Now that's suddenly I need to get this pen in, into to, <laughs> to Zambia. It's like, where the hell do I start, right? <laughs> yeah, this guy's day-to-day is focusing on manufacturing pens. You now want to take him or he needs to go through, what, a month's training or just so that he can then learn how to do this export process and then he must still walk through, get his fingers burnt here and there. Mm. And I realized that there's a big opportunity there. And this was now, I mean, I started Waymaker 2018, which I left Centova end of 2018 and started Waymaker same time. And um, the Africa Continental Free Trade Area was launched, I think, beginning of 2020, you know. So this is... Was that something you kept in mind or was was that a pleasant... I had no idea. Oh, so it was was just a wonderful timing. It was wonderful timing and... I knew that, you know, intra-Africa trade was a problem on the continent and something that needed to be changed. I also knew the effects of globalization, just and not from being any research, just by opening my eyes and looking and seeing what actually happens. We have American stores all over, all over here. Mm. We do know that we export, and we also know that it has opportunities because the simple matter here, Jacques, is... We sell, you sell products in, in, in Zambia, South African products, South African salaries are being paid. Whoever made those products, et cetera, they're the ones who get paid. And, yeah. and, and, and we don't have that exposure. And, it's, and the more, the longer we go like this, the more of a need um, is created. And that's what created my appetite for creative starting Waymaker Trade Solutions and hence the name Waymaker because we opening, creating yes. a way, yes. you know, um, into markets for the different clients. Mm-hmm. And so, so to me, when I'm seeing now what's happening and I'm seeing these expos and now I'm hearing people talk about the Africa continental free trade area, it was predictable this was going to happen because of the necessity for it. You look at even from a food scarcity perspective, the reality is that Africa is not is not manufacturing its resources. Instead, its resources are being exported to other countries. They are then taking it from a raw product, making it into a finished product. And then they ship it back and, and they sell it back, it back to us. Stuff. And we're buying our own stuff. It's, it's the reality. And this isn't something that was going to stay like this forever, mm. at, at least not from a, from a mentality perspective. And, and that's where the Africa continental free trade area comes in. And Africans are passionate about Africa. It's, it's a no-brainer for me. It's something that the country needs. Uh, sometimes I think maybe if there were more companies like my company, you know, it would have more of an effect because in reality I can't reach everybody. But it's, it's, there's never been more an important time than now, Jacques, to, to, to see um, and to seize these opportunities. Our content, our country is in economies and shambles. I don't want to be exaggerating or but it's not in a good condition and we know that we aren't where we, where we want to be and where we could be. So with having, you know, situations like that, we, we see the, the, the need for now looking at export markets. And, you know, we, 
people in Africa, say South Africa is, say, 10 years ahead of the rest of Africa. So we've got so much opportunity within Africa from a trading perspective and partnership perspective with other countries. And with time, what we've discovered is when people think of trade, the immediate thing in Africa, especially when they think of South Africa as a trade partner, they immediately think, okay, South Africa has a stronger economy than us. South Africa has a stronger manufacturing base than us. If we start trading and we do duty-free trade because of the Africa continental free trade area, then when I go to my spa in Tanzania, the spa version in Tanzania, I'm now going to start seeing my shelf filled with a lot of South African products and not our products. Mm. And that's where they have a problem with trading with South Africa because if you do it a free, free, you know, free trade over the borders. They're just going to squash the local They worry that industry. South Africa will squash the local industry. Yeah. So there is that. We, you and I can sit here and debate on how many of those products on those shelves are from Tanzania, Kenya, and, and, and anyway, anyway, yeah, yeah. you know, most of them are not, uh, probably aren't, but yeah. that's even the case with us here in South Africa and some of our stores. Well, we, I mean, technically, sorry to interrupt you. I think technically we, Tanzania, okay, I can't see, but I mean, the f- Shoprite success in Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, so shop, we're already doing it. We not only do we, uh, you know, we own the supermarket. Obviously, that creates the opportunities to ship. It does. Uh, local produce uh, and products into into those supermarkets. It does. So, like you're mentioning, and this is this is really within your, lo- your our our neighbouring states. That's where you're finding some South African brands um, there as well. But you're not finding Shoprite in East Africa, for yeah. example. Some some brands have gone out. I know Game, for example, tried East Africa. They were in Nairobi. I think they pulled out. But um, I think your car four, the French, are strong in East Africa. With West, uh, West. So, uh, sorry, West Africa. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm thinking. Uh, I was thinking of Kenya, and I was saying, so yeah. Kenya and, and up. I mean, they're very strong in in yeah Ivory Coast, South, oh. yeah Angola. So sort of just Angola still Southern Africa in a way, but West side and up here. Yeah. But where I'm going to with this, um, Jacques, is it becomes now a situation where the countries have identified the need for the trade. There's a fear of South Africa. Not not a fear, but why, what if South Africa, all of a sudden we're going to have South African maize meal in our stores? We're going to have all the basics, the rice, come, those things. And um, what then we discovered was within the trade side, we just spoke about local Africa's resources being extracted from Africa, taken to other countries, and then finished products being resent to Africa. So Africa is largely dependent on imports. We are a net importer as a continent by far. Mm. South Africa is the only country on the continent that's not a net importer. Um, and we are by far also the highest exporter on the whole continent. If you look at the exports in comparison to the imports in the rest of Africa, it's it's a shame because they, they are dependent on other countries. They can't sustain themselves. Um Whereas in South Africa, we do a lot better. The fact that we are net exporter. I think, I think our, our motor industry is probably a great example. The Mercedes C-Class, actually talking about it yesterday as, yeah. a, as, a, as a good example. Yeah. So what is now happening, Jacques, is these guys are looking at it from other African countries and they say, okay, if South Africa can manufacture so many different things, South Africa's making their own milk, they're making their pasteurized milk, they're doing their own condensed milk, etc. We're not doing it, but we've got cows here. Why not? 
So they are looking at partnering with South Africa in terms of a skills and knowledge development perspective. How can we work to get our industries to the same level or standards as what South Africa has? Mm. And this can be largely, if you're looking at the agriculture industry, you're seeing um, genetics becoming a point. So if you're saying you want your cows to be producing milk to this, this standard, what, genet- what, what cows do you have? What breeds of cows yeah. do you have? Are those the right breeds to be, or do you actually need to start maybe then importing some Jersey cattle from South Africa and having them, you know, or Holstein and having, or Frisians and having those in your country and then creating that breed, which can produce double the amount of milk as what your current, you know, um, sort of breed does in that country. And this is happening. This is not just an idea. So you are having people, you know, in breeding so that they can create a better genetically advanced cow or cattle, if you want to call it that, that can produce to those levels. But it doesn't end there. It now comes down to how do you keep these cows? What do you feed them? What irrigation systems are you using? Are you using feedlots? Can we then develop feedlots in our country to be able to maximize on, on, on these? And then again, even beyond that, once now we have the cow, what about the actual factories and facilities that are going to process the milk? What machines are you using there? How does it work? We've got all of that in South Africa. You go to a country like Senegal, you know, um, many other countries we can name in Africa, don't have that. In fact, I'd, we could confidently say more than any other country, we've got that manufacturing advantage. So, so what, what would the partnership t- typically look like? Between? If, let's say with a Senegal, you, you're going to set up shop it now. Be, so it's, it it's like a 50-50, you bring the knowledge uh, or is it you bring the knowledge, we've got the capital in the area, and then we develop this thing together? It's their initiative. So if, if Senegal is sitting there and they want to develop, let's stick to the agri, say they realize that they can make a lot more cheese, but they don't have the skills, then it's them who must then you know pay for South Africans who are going to go over there, accommodate them, pay them for their time, and they're the ones who must buy the breeds or the genetics. Yeah. Um, they're the ones who must buy the equipment that's necessary. So, so it's it's a partnership. Largely, may, maybe you'll find that it's government from the Senegal side, maybe a Department of Agriculture or Department of Livestock and Fisheries, in communication with the private sector here in South Africa, that are then now facilitating this. It's not so much a government-to-government government solution. Which is definitely not a bad thing. I guess in that, again, part of your, your services, and, let, and I want to unpack that more, you know, the service you currently provide. Uh, you showed me an example where, you know, starting from scratch as far as trade shows, government grants. So I want to un- unpack that a bit. But let's, let's quickly, this continental free trade Africa. So it's effectively, layman's terms, it's uh, creating a, a Europe in Africa. So it's like we, what we see in Europe trading was like borderless. Yeah. Uh, um, number one. Number two, what I find interesting is South Africa, uh, and it's I discovered this last week with this uh, Africa House guys. They say South Africa does not have an Africa strategy. Mm. They say Turkey has an Africa strategy. So it's almost like, yeah, sure, we, we, we always position ourselves. And even yesterday with, you know, the Belgium king is here. Mm. And so they're talking about, yeah, um, come and, you know, manufacture here in South Africa. We are the gateway, mm. blah, blah, blah. Mm. But it's like, no, no, what is South Africa's exports or tapping into the free market opportunities? Exactly as you said. Now, how do we produce our, up our production by selling more into the specific market? So, so – 
Tell us a bit more about that. How do you see it? You know, are there specific markets that jump out, specific industries? But I take it again, South Africa doesn't have Africa strategy. It doesn't mean a lot of local manufacturers doesn't mean they don't have an Africa strategy. Correct. So you do find your more advanced established businesses that have people that go out all the time marketing their products all over Africa. Some will tell you where they are already. But to look at it from in terms of an Africa strategy, I agree with that. I don't think we have an Africa strategy. I think South Africa as a whole has quite a poor um, export strategy. And I believe that this is created by the the lack of synergy between government and private sector to make that happen. You find that there's there's there isn't a plan that has been put out by government. You are seeing a lot of inward missions. So you just spoke about now the, the Belgium King being here. We had the president of Tanzania here just last week. I believe in April we're going to have the president of Namibia, and they're doing this with the president. And and I, 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 I hats off to him. Hats off to to government for doing these 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 initiatives. But what they'll do, you mentioned earlier on, they have this at the CSIR. We were at the CSIR last week with the Tanzania one, and the real opportunity there is the presidents are just meeting to create a platform so that private sector can start to engage mm. and create solutions. So private sector is what's finding the opportunities outside. Government is also engaging, creating these opportunities as well. But but um, private se- sector is the one that's sort of executing it. And when you look at our trade, I heard you mention, you know, South Africa being the gateway to Africa. Shark, if you look at stats in terms of imports and exports, you will see that we are not the gateway to mm, Africa. Um, yes, we, yes. We, we, we're far from it. Yeah. We've got minimal exposure in East Africa. We've got minimal exposure in West Africa. We've got minimal exposure in, in Northern Africa. When you look at those countries and who they import from, you tend to find, especially from an agri side, you tend to find Brazil, India, I've seen um, Malaysia come up, even in some cases Ireland where they are suppliers to, you know, countries, Nigeria, Egypt, Morocco, where South Africa doesn't even feature in the top 20. Wow. wow. So, so South Africa, what backs us, because of our manufacturing base, our, our advanced infrastructure, banking infrastructure, road infrastructure, port infrastructure, um, advanced in comparison to the rest of Africa, I must say, SADC has a lot of reliance on South Africa. So from feed... You know, people from Swaziland are coming to South Africa to get that. Um, people from Lesotho, because they don't have ma- a strong manufacturing bases, they yeah. are buying quite a lot of their necessities from South Africa. Um, Zimbabwe, Botswana, you know, if you look at some of, Botswana is one of our biggest trading partners, when you look in the agri perspective, and yet, and yet it's got one of the lowest populations of people all over the world. So you start asking yourself, if, if, if Botswana comes out on top of the list in some of our trade partners, what are we doing in the rest of the world in countries like Nigeria with populations f- 50 like, times the size of what, you know. Like, like that's uh, Europe by, on it, by itself, yeah, almost. Yeah. Or America, uh, yeah. Nigeria, right? So like 200 so, million or something. Yeah, so, so our trade is with SADC, with the UK, and we're seeing trade with the US and China. Um, and in the UK, look at Germany, for example, we trade quite a bit with. But otherwise, 
those are big, big countries, um, big names. So the US has footprint everywhere. China has footprint everywhere. So does Germany. So this is not, I don't think this is on our doing. I don't think South Africa had this great plan for how we're going to increase our trade with Germany or China or the US. I think it just happened from them. So that's a, we see the opportunity and, and we need to ones, we'll make it work. And they've got the footprint here and they know. Yeah. And they're at a far advanced stage than we are. Mm. But we don't have a plan for Africa because Africa, our footprint in Africa, or our majority of our exports in Africa are coming from our neighboring countries that come into South Africa, do their purchases, and then go back home. Um, and this is what we're talking about just by what's recorded. Never mind the informal sector, Jacques, where a gentleman is selling his cows and he's just you know selling yeah. and getting it across the border somewhere somehow. Yeah. You know, um, um, that's happening a lot. You know, if we look at it from an SMME perspective, yeah. because to export and to import legally, you need to be export ready, like we spoke about yeah. earlier on. Yeah. You have to have your customs, your importers code, your exporters code. You have to have your tax compliance, etc. Half of these guys in SMEs don't have that. So they're not going to comply. They're not going to now stop exporting because they have to reach compliance levels. If they, whatever way they had, whatever mode of transport. Um, and I don't want to keep it on large size items, but guys are coming in as we speak. There are guys in South Africa that have come to buy tiles or buy some, and they're going back to into Maseru or Lesotho and going into, you know, um, Eswatini, et cetera. Bulawayo, and they are avoiding these customs charges. How? I'm not going to, I, yeah. I'm not 100% sure there. <laughs> I'm not going to speak on every single yeah, yeah, border yeah, gate. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, so, so to answer your question, Jacques, um, in, in, in a few sentences, South Africa doesn't have an Africa plan. South Africa is in the best position out of everybody in Africa, and I would even go as far as to say internationally, to have an Africa plan. We are not the most liked people on the continent, but people do have a respect for our economy and our manufacturing capacity and the quality of products that come out of South Africa. So in my perspective, we don't have one, a strategy for Africa. It's high time we do, because if we can unlock that, then we can deal with problems of unemployment, low GDP rates, because the opportunities are vast all over Africa. From a strategy st standpoint, where would you start with that? Because again, we I think we've established government's not going to make that happen. It's it's all chatty chat. But where do you start? I mean, and again, give us examples. Actually, let, let's let's talk about give us a case study success story. You, we mentioned agriculture. Now you're involved with agriculture. Let's talk about how you grew the business. How where did you get involved? How did you get access to? How do you get access to your market slash customers uh, enabling you to export? Okay. For this to work, Jacques, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Alan Mugoki, and he put out this. He's the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And he said there's four Ps to make these international trade work, especially on the continent. And that's policy, uh, politics, people, and private sector. So... You need to have buy-in from all of those people for it to work. So if we want to imagine and see exports grow in South Africa, it cannot be done without government I involvement. I understand. Um, so there is, both government and private sector are involved 
in trying to increase South Africa's exports. So you're seeing that I don't know how many African countries have as much support as our SMMEs do in terms of reaching export markets. So this is the good news is it's happening. It is they happening. Are, Not as much John, as we would as like we to, speak, but, it, but it's happening. As we speak right now, there are South Africans who are in another country, funded by the South African government, funded by InvestSA, to go and market their products in another country. It's okay. happening on a monthly basis. Wow. Um, it's called the Export Market Investment and Assistance Scheme which is run through the Department of Trade and Industry through what they call InvestSA. So actually met, uh, I met a guy last night, Lester, from InvestSA. Funny enough, I had a long conversation with him. Okay. Yeah. So he's, yeah, but he was ex-world, yes. Boa. So yes, but yes. Is he, at, is he there now? He's, he's, uh, he was 14 years in, in Durban. Yeah, the world, yes, yeah, and he's yeah. six months now in Pretoria. Anyway, they're the smallest okay. in the world. So now okay. I had a long chat with the guy. It's fascinating. <laughs> no, yeah, I haven't seen Lester in a long time. But as you can see, these are the industry is quite not as big yeah. as you think. Yes, yes, yeah. Quickly realized there's certain names that come up. So yeah, Lester was 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 heading up this in TIKZN. So if you look at it from a national perspective, you've got DTI that runs these things, and then in South Africa, there's there's three provinces that I would say have good export-related initiatives. Yes. That being TIKZN, where Lester just comes from. There's another gentleman there now, Francois Beatrix as well. So TIKZN is, has got quite a strong export focus for their SMMEs. And then I've also seen Eastern Cape Development Corporation. So they do quite a number of outward missions. Um, they did one recently. I've done one with them to Kenya. And then Westgrow, which is the Western Cape, which which works quite closely with the Eastern Cape. And they do quite a few of these as well. I know they've got another one. They did Kenya. They did Rwanda about a month ago. Um, they'll be doing, I got an email this week. I think, I'm not sure if it's Tanzania, but it's happening in, a, in about three weeks' time. Okay. So they've got great. So it's, a, it's a typical agricultural products. What was no, it a combination? It's, it's, of? it's combinations. What so what uh, what is typical in the in the bag? I mean, look, I'll give an example. When we did the one to Kenya, there were guys with agricultural products. There were guys with technology products. There was guys who were selling frames for glasses. Okay. Um, so it's quite mixed, which I think can be a bit of a problem. In no way am I trying to take away credit from what these organizations are doing, the Western Cape and ECDC, et cetera. I think what they're doing is great. However, you want to have a focused approach. You can't take someone who's selling clothing and someone who's selling dog food to the same yeah. to the same client. Yes. It, it just won't happen unless you're yeah. dealing with a massive chain store that sells everything, then then fine, like a hyper. Then yeah. you can maybe talk. But in general, you can't. You need, it's two different um, missions. Yes, yeah. If you're going, you're taking a guy who's selling clothing and then a guy who's selling dog food or, or, or animal feed, you're trying to see two different types of clients in that country. The guy with the clothing, he might be, you know, looking more CBD-related stuff. The guy with the animal feed, he's looking at farmers, mm. you know. So what happens now when you bring those two people into the same into the same boardroom? So you've got the guy with his animal feed, then you've got another guy here sitting with his sunglasses. And then, Literally a and then conflict of, of interest. Talking juice, and then yeah. another guy, you know, so... it doesn't so much work. So 
I'm not saying that some people it's have better, It's better than nothing, but it's not ideal. Definitely better than nothing, but could be a little bit more fine-tuned. Got it. If you said, we are doing a mission to Kenya, and this is for sheep farmers, strictly sheep farmers, guys who are doing, then then yeah. that kind of makes sense, you know, Um or maybe you can then just say livestock. Then you have a guy who's doing cattle. Then you have another guy who's doing sheep, etc. But it's still kind of a It's almost like you're sitting in the same supply chain. You, you, you you're there, you're there. Yeah, the same supply there, yeah. chain. You know, yeah. if a sheep farmer can have a conversation with you and I'm a goat farmer, there's likelihood that I can also still have a conversation with you as well. You see. But if I'm flipping, I'm selling tackies. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's you got nothing in common there. Mm. So, so these are the the, the things there, Jacques. So, where where do I see the opportunity? I'll give you an example that they do in Botswana. Botswana's got what they call BMC, the Botswana Meat Council, and the Botswana Meat Council handles all meat exports going to the UK from Botswana. And we all know Botswana's got the highest population of cattle in the world, I believe. So, well, per square meter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the farmers in Botswana, they don't know where their meat is going or their cattle is going and which abattoir. They just know that on a specific date, we get paid X amount and we, this, this amount of um, cattle or sheep will be taken from us. But those are all for export. Yeah. But no one is asking them, what's your customs code? What's your exporter's code? Um, what's the tariff code for the meat you are sending on the, li- on the livestock? No one's asking them that. The government is handling that. The government is ensuring that this, this, the, these livestock go through the quarantine process to ensure that you know they have all the right vaccines and all the right medication, everything to meet the standards so that when this livestock or the meat itself, it doesn't have to be a li- live animal, it can be you know, beef cuts or et cetera. So when it gets there, it arrives and it gets in, has a smooth and, and um, efficient clearance process. Now, that makes it easy because now you haven't told every single farmer in Botswana that wants to know how to export to go and find that process out themselves and then go to the UK and go market his cattle. You didn't do that. And now, the other advantage with that is when the UK orders, Jacques, they don't come and say, oh, we just need uh, half a container of beef. No. That's serious numbers. They're, they're going to come and say, we, we, we need 10 containers of beef mm. a month. Now, there's no one farmer sitting in Botswana that can com- supply 10 containers of beef, but you bring 15 farmers together, 10 farmers together, then you can do it. Yeah. Now, for that to happen, because you've got the Botswana Meat Council, with everything being exported under their name, Botswana Meat Council is handling all of all of the processes. They're just finding aggregating between those 10 farmers and getting the meat and then moving it through. So that works efficiently because now we're actually exporting into other countries. So so um, the opportunity, if I if I hear you correctly, it's, it's again, you've got the private sector, but you need an organization that oversees that specific, all the tacky manufacturers, I'm a tacky with 10 oaks, yeah. and now we have yeah. someone that just says, listen, we'll take, and that's effectively what you guys are. Yeah, are well, doing now. You, so, in, in so we're working with them to get people out there. Yeah, but you see now we're working with individual companies. Yes, and then as it's going along, more people. Some of them are, are it's, it's organizations, but if you had a SA 
Textiles Exports Council. Some of them do exist. I'm just not sure how effective they really are and how much they've infiltrated into the market. Um, but but in most, what I would like to see is a government initiative to set up export councils for specific industries. And it, you can't open everything at once, no. but you could go sort of slowly. Yeah looking at which industries we have strength in um, and we can export. It could be automotive, it could be, but what's going to give the greatest support to the to the surrounding guys? Mm. Um, and if those organizations or those export councils, if you want to call it that, if they're the ones doing outward missions, they're going out to Germany and meeting with the Department of Agriculture and Livestock, for example, in Germany, and they're striking the deals. Let South Africans continue as they are. Focus on your Focus core on business. Focus you, on your core business. But the moment you now expect that you're going to get 10, 15 cattle farmers in South Africa to all, all of a sudden go to, no, those guys don't like leaving their farm. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you working with, with Dewald Olifir, by the way? Dewald Olifir, he's... Which, which, which? They, they, he was, they've now, uh, they've got a new uh, name. He was the SA Feedlot. He was. SA Feedlot Association. Yeah, so he's, yes, uh, he's, he's uh, the boss man, but they know they've got a new, there's a new structure because I believe that is our, one of our biggest export opportunities is, is our, is, is livestock. Yeah, but again, you know, you, 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 you mentioned. But it's going back to your point is not, you're not going to find 50 now. It's just <laughs> pull everything together. It it's and, not, and it's not that simple. Yeah. And, 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 and of course that the whole, well, the controlling the of the supply chain. We've right? got uh, tough red tape. Yeah. Yeah. And we've got red tape that is set out by guys sitting in Europe mm. and the U S don't know anything about Africa. Yeah. And we are saying that these are the same. We are applying the same red tape that's been created there in Africa. So you're getting all these standards and testings that need to be done. These are called what they call sanitary and phytosanitary um, tests. So you have all these standards that in Africa, we could actually ask ourselves, are all of these tests necessary? Because the unfortunate thing is, it's quite costly to get export ready, especially from uh a, a, a agri side of things mm. because they look at your whole process of manufacturing. What now? If you don't have access to that to that uh, abattoir that meets the standard or has the stamp of approval, mm. you can't export. Mm. So, so it's it's a conversation where people are saying, can we relook at these World Health Organization standards and create ones for Africa? Because we're busy here saying, no, oh, this meat must have been stored at minus two degrees. But this rule, if you look back, was created for conditions for something that's a problem in Europe. Not not, not a problem in Africa. Mm, but because it's a world, it's been now set but up. Suddenly it's one size fits all. Yeah. Very now you send something out to Angola, it gets there, some customs manager, he's, a follow, he's following a process. Has test A been done? She's just tick, ticking off. Yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 no. Oh, this one Sorry. hasn't been done. Sorry, no. take your stuff yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've got a problem. So these 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 definitely are, and I think, Jacques, you asked a very good question in terms of um, Africa's, you know, South Africa's plan for, for Africa. I think we are trying. I think government is trying. And I think South African private sector 
has been pushed to a position where they need to start thinking out the box mm. almost the same way that load shedding has done with us now with inverters etc mm. um load shedding was getting just really knocking us and private sector came up with solutions not necessarily cheapest solutions etc but now people have inverters now people are you know and you've even got you know a payment plans on inverters now where you pay a monthly premium to keep your inverter like you, your DSTV or something so so I, i i think this is happening south africans are thinking like that you're finding them with more of an appetite to leave the country and go into other african countries and explore and it that, that that's certainly happening mm-hmm. um I would just like to see a bit more synergy between government and private sector so that we can make it more streamlined. Yes. And in within the private sector just as you mentioned just more industry specific people sitting in the same room. Yeah. from the same industry from the same sitting, industry. In, sitting in the same yeah. room. Yeah. Last last uh, question. So obviously we touched on agriculture. I mean you you involved now with agriculture. So just tell us how did you get involved, you know, how that process and what what's happening there thanks for asking this question because i think it's a very important one and i'm going to be very transparent with you given our country's history where we come from what we're trying to do and what we currently are the agriculture industry in south africa is 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 dominated and run by the afrikaans community also what we call the boor <laughs> so I've, i've i've come to learn that they like to be called the boor yeah it's not an insult and it's not an insult and they don't want to be called boors no it's boor <laughs> so so i was in 2019 i think 20 yeah i met hetian briefly hetian van abo moment from from um sbi at a trade show and i invited her to one of I was I just started my business so I was doing um these I do webinars now but before before covid no one was doing webinars it was yeah. you invited people over to a boardroom and you spoke yes so I invited and she she was one of the guests on the day she really liked what I was talking about and then from there um I had a few more meetings with Hetian but she kept introducing me to more and more people um and the more people that I got introduced to the more opportunities we found etc so she then introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Albert Lobsha who runs Alpha which is Africa Livestock Fair and has contacts through um Nampo Trade Show Nampo he runs Nampo Alpha as well yeah i think it's a new joint venture between the two Nampo and Alpha yeah, yeah so yeah. that's a trade show that takes place in October so in 2020 during the 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 covid um Albert Nampo and Alpha asked us to put together the export uh, export program okay for Nampo Alpha and this was for for Nampo but this was all online because it was covid mm. there was no there was yeah. no trade shows so we put it together and it was, it was an online show obviously it would have been much better to have it in person but that's where my relationship started sort of started within agriculture and it's just gone and expanded from there um I was then promoted no not promoted i was asked to sit as a board member for agri voice and agri connect which i am still now and my purpose for agri connect is to advise on international trade and introduce them to more and more people as we network so had i not met hetian from the sbi um i would have never met 
Albert probably never done an export park for the online uh, trade show in 2020. And possibly agriculture would not have been the industry that you see now that I'm so focused on. Sure. Um, but it is such a key industry. It's something that we are very strong in in South Africa, not just from an Africa perspective, but internationally. It contributes to food scarcity, food, you know, we've got farmers dwindling in Af- in South Africa. Uh, the numbers of farmers, are, we've got a, the age of farmers coming in, you know, is, is, is low. Yeah. And it's something that it's a necessary industry for the whole continent and for the world. So, and it's diverse. It has tech involved. It has machinery involved in it. It's it's livestock. Then it's red meat. Then it's your agro-processors. Then it's peanuts. Then then it's juice. Then someone comes and says, I've got tomato sauce. I've got chili sauce. I've got real chilies. So it's 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 quite exciting. Mm. Um, um, and when you see the passion that people in that industry have, they live, they breathe for their farms um, um, and their animals. So agriculture is a great one to be involved in. I'm not saying now when someone comes to me and says, I sell T-shirts, I'm going to say, oh, no, I'm not interested. But we do, especially from a logistics perspective, so we do move items that are not necessarily agriculture. But, but I guess going back to your, I guess one of the themes in our uh, our discussion is focus. Yeah, it's like focus. Your, that's your focus, yeah. not, it's like 80-20. It's like, yeah, yeah that's 20%. Sure, this other 20% but 80% is, is agriculture. If you come to me and you say, hey, Tina, we've got uh, two containers of you know, um, speakers yeah. that I want to bring for my studio um, from, <laughs> from Canada. Yeah, yeah. Ask, where's your commercial invoice? Where's the packing list? What's the HS codes? Let's go ahead. We'll do that. But I'm not now working around talking to guys in, in electronics so, yes, saying yes. let's look for electronic trade shows in Africa and, and the rest of the world. So without Hetian's that introduction to Hetian, I yeah I, I don't know how else or, or, or where I would be with agriculture, but I've grown quite significantly in there. So we now we've run export parks at all the trade shows. I attend Bloom Show, Nampo, Nampo Alpha, Nampo Cape. I'm a speaker at most of these trade shows through Northwest University, which was also done um, through Hetian, and 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 it's 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 an interesting place to be, and these are things we need to sometimes allude to because even though sometimes they might be nice conversations to have, but it's important for us and for our society. If you look at where we are, I think the agriculture industry in South Africa understands the need for transformation within the industry. The question is, how is this transformation done? And that's where you see a little misunderstanding, if I can name it that, between government and and private sector and the farmers, the guys who are running the farms. I don't think they are against transformation necessarily, but there's certain utterances and things that are said by politicians that make it difficult for them to adopt uh, a transformation appetite if they see themselves as just being the losers yeah, at the yeah, end of the of day. Course. It's not a win-win. It's, yeah. not, it's got to be a win-win. And... I think now in 2023, South Africa has adjusted and grown to a point where people can understand that. Mm. And what I'm finding here, Jacques, is South Africans are moving away from a perspective of I deal with, I won't deal with you because of the language you speak or the, or the, or the color of your skin. It's more about can you respect me and do, you, and, and do I give you respect? 
once South Africans are establishing that and they're seeing the value in each other, it's magic. The people we are finding now in South Africa that are living in South Africa now, that's that's what's happening. Look at my relationship with Hetty, and, and I can talk across it. I can I can name you. Just mentioned the Divals, etc. These are people that I've met. That let's not talk about, you know, the presidents of Agri Gauteng and and Agri SA. You know, these these and we have good conversation, constructive conversations around the table. So, I think. 10, 15 years ago, would I be able to go to a Nampo and walk around? <laughs> I'm not so sure about that, yeah. uh, Jacques. And let's, let's, let, I'm being honest with you. I'm not so sure it would be a, maybe a little bit more hostile. But now, I'm not feeling anything hostile. Um, I do think the numbers are still very much the boor that are there. When you start, start looking at the black people in South Africa and even the English people, they're not, not too many of them are attending there. But it's not an uncomfortable space for me. People aren't, I don't walk in and people go, oh, look at who's that? You know, it's, it's not like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Try to do that in the 90s, early 2000s. It may have been a different case. So yeah. you seeing this Africa continental free trade area come in and you seeing the growth of our democracy, the maturity of our democracy, people that are in South Africa now are here because they want to be here. Uh, they don't want to go. Those who wanted to leave have left. Uh, um, um, some, yes, of course, every country will always have imp- people leaving and people coming back in. But the general attitude, I and this is my opinion, um, is that South Africans are actually quite keen to work together. Show me respect, I'll show you respect. I'm not going to say that our country has washed away all racial connotations, etc. no. But in my experience, yeah. I'm finding that people are very happy to talk mm. around the table. You bring value, you respect the other person, and and it works. And this is happening a lot in private sector. Mm. The issue we have is when you put government in that conversation, it somewhere along the line something breaks up. Mm. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear mm. So yeah, um, Heti and SBI key role, all that we do. And and, uh, and I think there'll still be more to come. Yeah. You know, I can talk to you for another hour. I, I appreciate you busy. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating chat. I must say it's a, it's a very, the timing is perfect actually for this chat. As I said, this, this whole, the Africa uh, exports. You're right. But the, it's the, You're right. The, the, the time is here. The opportunities the time, the are time here. The time is here. The continent has opened itself up to South Africa. South Africa has mature to a certain extent we have had some level of transformation here and there done the right way Mm. um but if we could do all of this right we can come out you know really on top with benefits at this and and um yeah the continent's ready for us and and i think we as a are beginning to understand each other where we can work and work to strengthen each other Whereas before in the past, it was that was not the focus in South Africa. Wishing you the very best for 2023. I hope it's a it's a very good and exciting year, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, thank you, Jacques, and thank you for having me. Only a pleasure. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review, and follow us on social media at Biz. B-I-Z crush.